This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Today, I'm speaking with Jared Belsky, who is the co-founder and CEO of Acadia, the company I work for. And Jared has come out with his second book this week called You Get the Agency You Deserve. And I thought it would be great to have you on the show, Jared, to talk about the book, what you've learned over your storied career as a brand side and now agency side marketer and what you hope people will get out of reading this book. It's great to be talking with you. So let's start with the obvious question that you're going to get really sick of answering over the next few weeks. Why did you write this book? I suppose it's personal. In some ways, it's a note to myself as a 20-something client-side marketer. I was probably about 27 or 28 when I was working at the Coca-Cola company. I was a associate brand manager in Fanta. And I had the greatest onboarding. Coke is a pretty great place, especially around onboarding. And I learned all their systems, their HR systems, their accounting systems, the sales volume systems, learned everything in my onboarding, except one thing. And it was in my first week where my boss and still friend, Diane Young, said, hey, good news. You're going to be managing the agency and you're going to have a X million dollar budget. And all of a sudden, I found myself in charge of an agency team that has about 10 people. And let's just call it a multi-million dollar budget, right? So big stakes. And it turns out I knew nothing. And it turns out, more importantly, I was a terrible client, Carrie. I was a bit pompous. I gave bad briefs. I gave unrealistic deadlines. I was probably not a good motivator. I don't think I gave structured or accurate feedback. I had unrealistic expectations. And I just thought it was their job to do a better job. But I wasn't very reflective about how to be a great client or maybe more importantly, why to be a great client. And what was the outcome of that? <laughs> the outcome, surely, is that I did not get the most out of that partnership. Mm. And as I had time to self-reflect, that's not who I am and that's not who your listeners want to be, right? If we're all in marketing and we all wake up in the morning, we want to be a great partner and we want to be great at our job. The truth is, effectively, I wasn't. But what I've come to realize 10 years almost now later and into the present, I started asking all of my friends who are brand side marketers, often over a glass of wine, the following question, with a bit of a smile, a well-intended smile. And I would say to someone, hey, Diane, why are clients not that great at being clients? And then again, to be clear, I don't mean that to be snarky. It's, it was a very genuine question. And what I heard from almost all of my friends and people I was able to take out to lunch and ask this question was three things. I was never trained as to how to be a great client. My boss never inspected it. In other words, they never talked about it on my review. And the last one is there are very few materials on how to learn and maybe a little bit of why should I even care? Mm. And so I wanted to try to do a service for the industry. Brand side marketers, client side marketers are incredible. They want to get more out of their agency relationship. They often just don't know where to turn or how. Mm. And it's embarrassing and awkward sometimes. So that feedback that you were talking about that was from people on the brand side. You discovered everyone was kind of treating their agencies, you know, like, I don't know, yeah. how would you say? I literally, <laughs> I literally met or interviewed 100 different CMOs, and the stat was almost like 86% of them had never been structurally taught how to be a great client. And I don't mean like how to be a nice client. I mean how to be an effective 
client to an agency, mm-hmm. right? Over three quarters. And so that leads us very nicely. The premise of the book is how to be a great client. This is right. That's the premise of the book. It's a very, you know, this is not the, the next great American novel, but it's a very specific, narrow and deep guide. And that's what it is. It's 20 chapters. You don't have to read it front to back. Each chapter is very, you know, has a very specific take home value to make you a little bit better at being a client for your agency partner in lots of different ways. Yeah, I think if you haven't had that brand side experience, especially at Coca-Cola and, you know, the network that you have and these conversations that you'd have, it would sound a little condescending for an agency person to say, hey, here's how to be a better client. (laughs) But I think you've earned the right to have this sort of how-to. I appreciate you saying that's true. It was actually my biggest reservation and almost point of nervousness to why I didn't write it originally. And then it was written and then I almost didn't release it because I was worried about seeming condescending. It's actually not that at all. Again, it's so much written as a note to my 20 year old self while I was at Coke to be better. And then a lot of these friends and, you know, colleagues I've talked about, they, who, who admitted to not being great clients, they want to learn. And I think that's, what's great about our industry in general. The marketing and advertising industry is full of very curious people. They're desperate to learn. They just don't know where to turn always. And they're very busy. What would you say to someone on the brand side who says, it's the agency's job to give me what I want? Like if this, the owner shouldn't be on me. I'm paying them. They should be able to read my mind and do what they should be the ones getting trained. What would you say to that? I think it's a reasonable feeling but i would say to that person if you reflected about your life right you can go out and buy the best car right you can go buy an incredible bmw you still play a role as the driver to get the most out of your vehicle you can go buy the most beautiful home but if you don't maintain it and keep the grass without weeds and the house painted you don't get the most out of your home you can have an incredible kid but if you don't raise them and continue to teach them values and feed them good food, they won't be a good, healthy kid. So you do play a role like it or not, is my first message. I think my second message, though, is what I would want them to know as a client is at an agency, I don't care if it's a big agency or an independent agency like ours, there are only two types of clients at the whole agency. There are clients that the best agency talent run to, and there are clients that the best agency talent runs from. Now, the clients don't always know it because... Friendly faces show up professionally on Zoom or on Meets or in person. And so you don't really feel it. But I promise you, listeners, there's either a motivation tax or a motivation accelerant. The motivation tax is you still see five friendly faces on Zoom, but they feel unempowered. They don't feel motivated. They don't feel guided. They don't feel instructed. I promise you they're working 40% less effectively. Or there's a motivation accelerant. Same five faces. They're showing up motivated, empowered, instructed, guided. You're getting so much better work out of the same five faces. Mm -hmm. So like it or not, I would invite you to almost accept or at least explore this truth that if you're a great client, you will get a lot more out of your ecosystem and you will do better as a result in your career. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The secret's out. We (laughs) have our favorite clients. Yeah. It's it's true. It's real. (laughs) You want to be a favorite client, right? (laughs) I mean, I think that's the truth in everything, right? We all would say, oh, all our friends are equal or all 
children. All our relationships are equal. I'm, I'm definitely not good there. <laughs> I'm good but you know, it's that old adage, yeah. we, we get out what we put into something. Yeah. And this is no exception. And what I think I would also love clients to recognize is I have some client friends where they manage a five person team. Their agency team could be 12 people. And then another X million dollars in stewardship. Sometimes for certain clients that have small teams, your agency team is larger than your internal team. Mm. So why would you not treat them the same way? Why would you not spend the same effort thinking about how to motivate them just like you motivate your wonderful internal team? Mm. But again, going back to maybe empathy and sympathy, it's no one's fault. People just haven't been taught it and it hasn't been expected. Mm. And that's kind of what I love to change, right? Like help people understand how do you help deal with conflict? How do you try and mediate a problem versus just fire agency? How do you have a proper onboarding? Like there's all these little bits that mm. can make people better. Yeah, I'd, I would like to hear what your thoughts are on you know, when you've got an internal team. Mm. Candidly, it's very difficult to fire people, right? Mm-hmm. Really easy to fire an agency. Yeah. However, I think one of the stats that you share in the, around the book is for a particularly a large brand, it actually, did, it's not that easy and it's certainly not cheap. It costs, a, you know, a million dollars in 12 months to do a proper agency search for a very large brand. So that was just an observation that I had around the cost of it, because it does seem like, you know, it's easier to change an agency. It's not so easy to change your internal team, but that's not necessarily the case. Absolutely. And I'd almost flip the question is like, or I'd say yes and yes, it is more expensive than clients realize to fire your agency and start fresh. But I'd almost say something slightly even more positively, which is it's easier than clients realize to more properly reflect on how to improve the relationship than bail on it. Like, let me just give yeah. an example. You know, you got some client, we'll call her Sally, and she's got this agency team, and maybe there's like 15 people or so on the team. Disproportionately so, Sally may end up talking to two people more often than anyone else. Maybe it's the account lead and the strategy lead. It could be that she just doesn't like the account lead. Call him Billy. Billy, maybe just personality-wise, doesn't vibe with her. Maybe he doesn't get the brand. Maybe he's not great. But the point is, let's be thoughtful and communicative on how to rotate out Billy. Billy's probably beloved by the agency. He'll have another job somewhere else in the agency. So he's going to be okay. Mm. And now Sally can get a new partner. And all of a sudden, she wakes up and realizes, oh, the agency's fine. It was just my account person was the wrong match Mm. for me. So I'm just sharing that example is like, It's so easy and accidentally lazy to just be like, the agency sucks. Mm. By the way, once in a while it does. Mm -hmm. But too often, there are little nips and tucks and changes that you can make. And so I've got this chapter that I love. It's called Therapy is Cheaper Than Divorce. Mm -hmm. Divorce is very expensive. Mm -hmm. Therapy takes effort and it's awkward, but it leads to breakthroughs in relationships. Yeah, that's a great point. It's no different than in our real life. Do you see any difference between what I would characterize as like creative or strategy work, which is a little different to, you know, what we do at Acadia is quite tactical. We have this, we're coming up with the strategies, but we're not, you know, coming up with a concept for a Super Bowl ad. That's mm-hmm. not what we do at SEO, retail media, social, etc. So do you see like from the principles and best practices in the book, is there a difference there? 
I love this question. So I actually think the book is even more important for clients who are maybe um, stewarding a relationship where there's creative. When it's a media relationship or analytics, there's facts. And so sometimes at least arguing over facts, facts become the arbiter, mm-hmm. right? We said we would beat up 20%. You're up only 18, right? You can have a good structured argument over mm-hmm. that. But what do you do when the creative is, quote, not good? Well, the problem is, as you might predict, that people, especially clients, lapse into what I would call feeling-based language, right? I feel like that spot doesn't have energy. I feel like that, you know, print ad is too dark. I feel like round seven was better than round 10, right? All these I Mm. feel. And what I wish for clients to realize is the power they have is in two things, their knowledge of the brand and their previous agreement with the agency on the brief, right? So if you're a client and you're trying to sell Red Bull, And the brief was that Red Bull is about energy that lasts, right? Not like this three hours, six energy, but just energy that lasts and that is more real because you're a leader in the energy drink space. Well, if an agency comes to you with a piece of creative that's like artsy and cutesy, you can say it's well within your right to say, folks, let's remember the brief. The brief was about Red Bull being a leader in lasting energy. This ad you've shown me is more about art and more about abstracted. And it doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means it's not on brief. Mm-hmm. The power in that statement is less, not about emotion. It's about returning to the brief and returning mm-hmm. about your knowledge of the brand. But what accidentally happens in our industry is that clients and a lot of great clients, I did this too in my twenties, you lapse into quickness. I feel, I think that ad sucks. And all of a sudden the demotivation tax kicks back in mm-hmm. and you've killed the soul of your creative director. Mm-hmm. versus just saying, hey, Johnny, thank you. I can see you poured a lot of energy into this. And I would absolutely hang this on my wall at home. But as for the brief that we together decided on that was going to be about energy, it's fallen short. Let's mm-hmm. take another shot at it. Mm-hmm. Right? Someone listening to this might argue, oh, Jared, this is all about semantics and hugging. No, you're in a services business, except that you're in the services industry which means you're in the art of creating confidence and building trust and motivating or demotivating people. Listeners, this is the craft you've chosen, the torture you've chosen. <laughs> Let's all get better at it together. Mm. Yeah, I see what you mean about the, you know, with the more tactical implementation, let's say, yep. digital marketing. Sure. There is a more element of black and white. Did we achieve the goal? Mm. Did we deliver this ROAS? Did we grow this much in this channel? Before all of that, there is a question of how are we going to get there? And in my world, the Amazon world, there's different paths to get there. And what we might recommend and know to be true from previous experience, you know, as a strategy to get to X outcome, sometimes we have our friends at Amazon coming in and saying something a little bit different based Mm -hmm. on their sales KPIs, for example, or we might have someone on the client side who has had a different experience at a brand and believes a different strategy. So there's different ways to get there. And how would you think about, or how would you coach a client and maybe also on the agency side as well, if there's a difference of opinion about the approach to get to an outcome? I, you know, very much appreciate what you're talking about. Obviously, we've 
spend a lot of time on Amazon here, thanks to you. And I think it is a unique space, you know, take the Amazon retail media space. It's a great one to talk about as a sort of canvas. It's big, it's growing, it's complex, it's ever changing. A lot of strong opinions in terms of platforms, clients, and ages. It's a perfect stew for arguments and for emotion and for disagreement. So I guess, you know, taking a couple things from the book, what I would say is probably two things. One is everyone underestimates the power of an onboarding and a brief that becomes almost a contract between client, agency, and even a third party like Amazon. Mm. How are we spending our money? What is our main KPI? Not 17 KPIs. We don't mm -hmm. want 17 KPIs, Amen. right? What is our singular KPI as a North Star? And if we write that down, even in crayon, it becomes the guide and we don't triple and double cross each other. So I think that's one underrated theme. And the second one is just like in our human relationships, we're at risk when we let tension build too much and the pipe explodes. So my other recommendation for this sort of love triangle, when there's a platform, be it Amazon or be it Walmart, an agency and a client is to never let too much time go by without a QBR where you're bringing people together, all three parties, to ask a simple question. How are we doing? How's our relationship doing? How's the data? And where are we not seeing eye to eye, right? Like that's mm. the thing it is not rocket science, mm. but it takes effort. Yeah. And the clients who take effort on these matters are the winners. Yeah. And there is an element of trust that maybe I've never tried that strategy before, but there is, you're entering into a relationship where there has to be some trust there and that's built on both sides. I think it's everything, Kiri. I think it's trust and even like values alignment. Something I've been perplexed on, you asked earlier to compare my experiences on the indie side of agency life as well as the holding company side. In both sides, one of the things that perplexes me always about the sort of RFP world, right, which is just this art and science of clients putting out RFPs to try and find their next agency partner. It's too invariably a referendum on skills, mm -hmm. right? If it's a media RFP, it's, do they have this tech stack? If it's an Amazon agency, it's like, what reporting suite do they have? If it's a creative agency, it's, well, tell me about your insights capability, what research do you have? And what's so funny is most agencies are gonna be plus or minus 15% on the skills and technologies. What I would argue and what I want listeners, especially client side listeners to believe is that what makes or break a relationship, an agency-client relationship, is it's Tuesday night, sadly, maybe it's 7 p.m., and you have a board deck due, and you need to know who's in your corner. Or it's 7 p.m. on a Tuesday night, and you're at loggerheads on how to spend money heading into Q4. You need to know that across the Zoom is someone you could debate and have constructive conversation with, and someone who's in your corner, and someone who listens, and someone who shares your can-do curiosity values. If that value alignment's wrong or that listening ability is wrong, it doesn't matter what tech stack mm -hmm. you have. Mm -hmm. I just think the RFP process itself is not allowing clients to find their best soulmate, mm -hmm. which I think they deserve. Yeah, that's a really great point. Well. So the book is out this week. Where can people buy it? Well, you spoke about Amazon earlier. The book, You Get the Agency You Deserve, is out and available on Amazon. So please check it out there. We're big believers in Amazon. Thank you, Jared. Enjoyed it very much.